Hey folks, it's D2 Alive time, 7.30. Uh, as always, joined by Johnny Trevorrow, Sam Bewley and a special guest, Simon Gerrans, live at the finish line for Stage 18. Start with you, Gary. How are you travelling, mate? Ah. <laughs> can you hear us, Simon? Yeah, I can hear you now. You disappeared for a minute there. No, you're right. Yeah, but my heart skipped a beat. I thought we had more Wi-Fi issues. Um, I just said, uh, how are you how are you traveling? Oh, good, buddy. Good, good. Yeah, in the home stretch now. What stage are you up to? Eighteen. You forget 18. what day of the week it is, but you generally keep track of what stage you're up to. <laughs> three to go. Three to go. You must be well and truly in the routine now of chatting for the six, seven hour blocks. Um, how's your storytelling going? I'm getting I'm getting voice fit. That's for sure. <laughs> um, um, yeah, you know, a lot of talking, a lot of talking. That's for sure. So we're <laughs> we're kind of on air from kilometer from the when the riders roll up to the start line until all the podium protocols are done with. So it's a long day. <laughs> what do you think of yesterday's stage, mate? Pretty epic uh, finale there. Yeah, it was a great stage. It was really good to see um, Bahrain McLaren literally, you know, have a crack. Obviously, Lander couldn't finish it off in the end. But uh, there were many teams that sort of seemed to sit back and let Jumbo Visma do all the damage. That they're sort of the powerhouse team in the race this year. But uh, for Baron McLaren to to sort of throw it down, they set a really hard tempo there and called Madeline. Um, made a pretty good selection, so it set up for an exciting final. Except they, those, except they blew themselves uh, out the uh, the back door themselves. I mean, I mean, uh, Lander got dropped about. Uh, Two minutes after his uh, main man had finished doing the turn. Yeah, but his team did all the damage that they wanted to do, I think. They really had Jumbo Visma down to about two riders um, by the time Lander was on his own. So I think their premises was trying to isolate Roglic, and they didn't do a bad job of that. There's been a massive resurgence of these youth powerhouses, Gero. What, what, what do you think has been causing that? Uh, it's been talked about quite a lot how young the stage winners have been in this year's race. And for me, it's because it's it's not a Tour de France that anyone's familiar with. That Everyone's had a, a new preparation for this year's race. And I think the sort of older guys in the race, they're used to preparing for the Tour in a certain way. Used to doing certain training camps, certain races, um, and a certain training load leading into the Tour. Where this year, they're all in sort of uncharted territory. So I think it's the, the new riders that don't sort of have their ways sort of worked out already are the ones that have been able to excel in this in this situation on top of that all everyone talks about is how intense the first hour of racing has been and i think that really those really high intense efforts um is probably handled better by the younger riders than the, than the older riders in the bunch as well what do you reckon bills of the stage yeah well i agree with gero actually it was interesting to see Bahrain mclaren um take up the take up that role that that Visma has been doing for most of the tour. Obviously, yeah, like Gary says, they wanted to try to isolate Roglic as much as they possibly could. And you know what? Look, it didn't work out in the end for Lander. But hey, you got to have a crack. You have to have a crack. Um, I mean, the other option was just to follow and, uh, and you know, and, and maybe not win the stage, uh, maybe hold his position on GC. He obviously had an intentions of, of moving up uh, on the GC, maybe winning the stage. So look, you got to have a crack and, 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 and good on them. Um, what do you reckon, uh, Gary, about the whole Ineos situation? Is it is it just a situation where it's like, all right, right off 
this year, 2020, and, and we'll come back bigger and stronger? Or do you think it's an end of an era? Oh, I definitely don't think it's an end of an era. But what was interesting to hear is Dave, uh, Sir Dave, Dave Brailsley's analysis on it saying, listen, we've already started planning our 2021 Tour de France. We're going to assess what we did wrong this year. We're going to get Bernal uh, sort of right back on track. And then we're going to put a plan in place to, to really take on this race again. And it looked like he's really relishing the challenge of not going in as the, the big sort of defending champions of next year's Tour de France, but kind of the underdogs. Um, but I definitely don't think it's the end of an era. Uh, and I think that was sort of, that will have taken a lot away from, from this year's tour. But what's also good to see is, you know, that we've had, a, we've seen a few of their riders literally go on the attack the last couple of days and, and try and go for stage wins to see Carapaz on the break two days in a row and go so close on a couple of occasions. Um, it's a good opportunity for the, their riders as well. It's, it's actually this it's not the, it's certainly not the end of the era for for Ineos, but it's also at the same time the start of a really exciting era in the Tour de France I think I mean you've you look at historically over the last six or seven years and you kind of always be like yeah Froome's going to win or G's going to win or Ineos or Sky's going to win but now we're looking at we're staring down the barrel of a couple of years of Tour de France's where it's going to be like who's going to win this year you know we've got we're going to have three three or four really strong teams you're going to have guys like Bernal, Roglic, Pogacar, all these guys battling every year, and and like the the clear favourite um, that you know any of us would always carry into the tour. It's not going to be be so black and white anymore. So it's going to create a new era of really exciting Tour de France, as I reckon. If he... I agree with you, mate. I agree with you for sure. <laughs> I was going, Gero. Oh, we got you, mate. Um, I was very impressed with uh, Sepp Kuss right through this tour, but especially yesterday. I just thought his ride what was uh, staggering. Yeah, it certainly was. Sepp Kuss, for me, um, I haven't really seen Sepp Kuss's uh, progression so much, so I really only started tuning into how good he was going during the Dolphin where he was able to, to win a stage. But then see to see him climbing so well uh, in the tour has been phenomenal. I was actually chatting with uh, George before uh, about half an hour ago actually to find out what the plan was there with, with Jumbo Visma uh, in yesterday's final because he sort of rode off the front. It looked like there was a little bit of confusion there, but it was all planned. They were trying to set set, set Kuss up to go for a stage win. Um, so what's fantastic in that scenario is Primoz Roglic. He's obviously leading the race. He's been dominating the GC, and he's still trying to give his teammates an opportunity. Really? Oh, I, I thought the plan, to me, it looked like his plan was get him up the road so he could then try and uh, get rid of Polichar and have someone to jump to, you know, which is what they ended up doing. But I thought that was the plan more than to give a, a stage to set course. So that surprised you, you me. You call him George a liar, John. No, I'm just saying <laughs> I was surprised. They said they... the idea was to, for set course to ride away, maybe provoke a bit of an effort from Pogacar that uh, – that, um, Roglic could follow, and then go over the top if he if he if he could. Otherwise, to let Sepkus take the take the stage. They spoke with Sepkus after the stage, and uh, for such a young rider, he showed some real maturity there because he obviously he 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 rode away there. Roglic let him, uh, you know, make the gap. Uh, Lopez obviously was in had super legs yesterday and jumped across to to Sepkus, and then and Sep said in the interview afterwards that. When he was with Lopez there, he knew that he couldn't maintain that pace to the finish line. He knew that he was going to, going to be able to stay with Lopez to, to win the stage. So he showed real maturity there by making the decision to actually stop and come back. Uh, he, he knew, look, I'm not going to be able to win the stage. So what I am going to do is I'm going to come back to Roglic 
and I'm going to do my job for for my leader for those those last few K. So that's shows obviously the fact that he's uh, extremely talented, but he's also got a good head on his shoulders at such a young age, which is uh, going to put him in good stead going forward uh, for the rest of his career. So what what are you expecting on today's stage, Gero? It's a pretty gnarly one looking at the Phil, uh, have you profile. missed not being on the ground? Oops, that certainly is a gnarly stage. <laughs> certainly is a gnarly mate. stage, <laughs> but I think uh, there it is. Um, yeah, I think we're going to see a really exciting stage. I think there's probably going to be a number of uh, sprinters that didn't sleep so well last night. They'll be a bit nervous about just <laughs> through today in the, within the time cut. But um, as far as a GC battle, I think we'll, we'll potentially see a few guys try their luck on that final horse category climb. But from that point to the finish, it's not an easy run in. It's quite a technical descent off the horse cat climb. And the climb, the uncategorized climb that follows, it's about 6Ks at 5%. So it'd be very difficult to stay away uh, if you're a sort of a lone leader on a, on a big, fast climb like that one. But with 13 teams in the race that have yet to win a stage, I think a lot of teams will have directors yelling in their ears to make the break, the break on today's stage. So it should be a, a hectic first 20-odd Ks till we hit that cat one. We were talking to Whitey just before, uh, Gero, and uh, he was saying that the dirt, there's a bit of dirt uh, after the top of the HC climb, uh, and it's actually, when he saw it two weeks ago, it was not in great condition. Yeah, but I don't think that'll pretty much, that won't change too much on how the riders sort of approach that section. I think that dirt section will be the slightly uphill. It looks as though there's about two kilometres of uh, sort of continuous climbing, but slight sort of fairly gradual climbing across the top. Um, I don't think that'll have too much of an impact on the race. And so is it a foregone conclusion, mate? Roglic will be on the top step in Paris? Uh, he's looking good at this stage, but it's never a foregone conclusion. There's still a few, a very tough stage today um, and another stage to, break, to to control, you know, after that and, and a difficult time trial. So um, we're trying to keep everyone interested in this race yeah. for as long as possible. <laughs> Fair enough, mate. <laughs> Anything you want to add before he goes? If he builds, well, we're just great to have Gera on again and uh, see his smiling face. Um, how are you going with that uh, ticket home, mate? Is it uh, looking a possibility? Oh yeah, it's still looking. It's still looking right for late next month. And I actually um, actually heard earlier today that Australia are increasing their amount of arrivals they're allowing on a on a weekly basis. So that's that's all going the right direction. Good stuff, uh, mate, we'll, we'll let you into Mexico anytime you want. Yeah, it's it's getting out is the battle at the moment. So. Getting out of Australia is it? Oh, getting no, out of getting Victoria. out of Melbourne. No, no, Victoria. Oh, See, right. I'm in Geelong. We we we've had our uh, um, complete curfew lifted like uh, two nights ago, so we can go anywhere in Victoria except into Melbourne. And they're actually putting they're like Donald Donald Trump in Mexico. They're building a wall, a steel mm. wall around Melbourne, and you can't get out. Yeah. yeah, very political this show, isn't it? Oh yeah, we cover all aspects on the detail live. I really, really appreciate you taking it. The... Oh, Gero, he's gone. Jeez, I'm no good with the buttons here. Uh, you cut I'm him just... off. I ac- I accidentally kicked him out of the studio. I meant to go the full screen, um, but that yeah, I feel terrible. That was uh, Simon Gero. That's all we needed from you. See you later, pal. <laughs> Can you send him a text? Just to say, hey, that was a that was a slip of the finger. <laughs> that, I'll say, 
he's done an iffy and he's cut you off, mate. Yeah, yeah it looks well. really bad. All right. Well, it's time to sharpen the fingers up and press the right buttons. Um, this is a chat we had with Matt White earlier today. Whitey, uh, where are you staying, mate? It looks like uh, you're right. Yo- Yogi Bear territory. Yeah, I am. I'm deep in the uh, in French Alps there, mate. Uh, very close to the start in Maryville. So I'm at um, about 16, 1700 metres altitude. Quite a fresh morning this morning, but uh, it won't be. Uh, it'll warm up pretty quick when these boys start racing. Can you feel the effects of altitude at that height at the seventeen sort of eighteen hundred or? Yeah, uh, some people. I, I, some people sleep a little bit better. Uh, some people have a bit weirder dreams at higher altitude, and some people <laughs> struggle. It depends. I'm I'm fine. I don't sleep much anyway. So. Uh, I thought the I thought the weird dreams were from the um, palms and wheels. That, that when you put the two together. <laughs> That, that's when you get nightmares. Sorry, yeah, yeah, that John. was a yeah, that that was a, a an amazing uh, stage yesterday, and, and what a a, a fantastic uh, new little road that they've uh, they, they've built. Yeah, it, it's it's a bike path, but uh, looking at the gradients yesterday, you'd uh, you'd want to have an e bike or be very very fit to get up them. I tell you, that was a I've never seen a bike path like it. We had gradients of 20. It was either dead flat or 20%. Um, yeah, incredible the last six kilometres, and it certainly made for a very, very tough final. How did the team cars go going up the slope? Did you have to deviate off, or how did that No, work? we were, were, were right past the last 50 metres. We didn't do that yet. So we we're, were, were behind the guys. Our, uh, our car started to get a little bit overheated by the top, but uh, all good, all good, mate. It was, uh, it was a grind. Um, obviously, impressive victory by Lopez. I'm kicking myself that my research didn't factor in the whole Colombian altitude thing. Uh, I thought Pog- I thought Pogacar was was going to mop him up, but um, it just goes to show that you know people are thinking that it's a foregone conclusion, even with the GC. But there's still a bit of bike racing to go. Is that how you sort of feel amongst the teams? Yeah, definitely. Well, obviously, there's the the, the crucial time trial uh, in a couple of days on Saturday. But the big one today is uh, you saw the, the amount of effort those GC guys had to make. And, you know, sometimes people get a bit empty towards the end of these races. And today's probably the hard, as far as the whole day, probably today's probably the hardest day of the tour. Um, yesterday was the, the, probably the hardest climb of the tour, uh, the final climb yesterday, and the, and the longest at 21 kilometers. But today, there's basically no flat. Uh, it's a slight uphill out of the start. There'll be a sprint. They'll stay together for the sprint, and then you're and then you're onto that first climb. It's just relentless. After that, you just descent, climb, descent, climb, descent, and then the second last climb or the climb that is categorised with the bonus sprint on top. That is a brutal steep uh, 6k at 11%, and there's sections of that at nearly 20%. Then when you get to the top, you've got two kilometres on dirt, which is in a very poor condition. Well, it was two weeks ago when I looked at it. Then you just then a very tricky descent and down onto the last uncategorized climb of the day. So, you know, if you're on a bad day today, it won't be seconds we're talking about losing today. Well, I guess that uh, a lot of the other teams are just going to try and throw the book at um, Jumbo Visma and just, just see if, if Roglic is, is on the ropes, I guess. Yeah, and I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think he's on the ropes at all. I think Jumbo obviously getting tired, so they should. Uh, they've obviously controlled this race from start to finish. But, uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't 
they'll, I think they'll just go to run to the template that they've been using. They'll let a break go, and they'll just start at the first climb of the day. They'll start riding an uncomfortable tempo, which means that any break up the road won't be going far. And then the big question is, if they have to ride all day, has anyone got the the swingers? all the legs to be able to put them under pressure on those last two climbs that you know, Roderick is maybe isolated. And just looking at that uh, that graph uh, before, it's going to be a really tough day for the sprinters. They're going to be under uh, a, a real pressure to make the time cut, I would think. Yeah, I think Caleb's up, Caleb's up for a uh, five-hour time trial. Mm. Individual. <laughs> well, he he went he went off early yesterday. He got finally. Uh, he looked better. Luck- he looked he looked better yesterday, Johnny. He looked better. He yeah. uh, uh, he wasn't the first guy dropped yesterday, and actually he got into a bit of a rhythm on the on the Madeleine, and he actually looked better than the the, the previous week. So, uh, he, look, he doesn't mind the longer climbs. It's the gradients that sort of get him catch him a bit out. But um, I, I look, I think he'll, he'll be able to get through. He'll have four or five of his. Of, uh, of his teammates back there, making sure he gets through today because they know that there's two more chances for him to win and uh, and he's, he's certainly in good shape. Uh, now, before we go to part two of Whitey's chat, remember to keep sending in your questions uh, and comments. Rowie's bills. <laughs> uh, thanks for that. Uh, Wendy Superfan says, hi, Dan, <clears throat> John, Sam, and unfortunately, Gero's gone. Uh, Lantern Rouge, yo swaggers, keep it up. Uh, Roe wants to know as well, still crook, broken rib. So, how are you traveling? Yeah, no, the, the rib actually healed overnight, it's no longer broken. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good, that's a good answer. Uh, and Scott Davies wants to know, does the downhill finish negate some of the hard climbs for today's stage? D- does the Show that question again. Does downhill finish negate? Yeah, well, it can do. Yeah, um, certainly if you have a if you have a hilltop finish or mountaintop finish, it, it, it promotes uh, attacking more attacking. But like like Whitey was just saying in that interview, um, that second to last climb there, that that's a horse category climb, and it's only six kilometres long, which is very very rare to see. Uh, so that means only one thing: that it is bloody hard. Um, yep. So yeah, you're going to get to the top of that climb. There's going to be a very small selection. I would expect that somebody will try something there. Uh, I don't know if it would be Podjakar or, but it might be guys like Lopez. Lopez showed yesterday that he's really riding into this tour, and and arguably, well, not even arguably, he was the strongest guy on that climb yesterday. Uh, long way to go from there. I think a really good tactic would be uh, if you were Lopez or Podjakar or one of those guys who wanted to have an attempt that climb. You really need somebody from your team or multiple guys from your team in the breakaway uh, up the road, and hopefully they'll pass that climb in front of the peloton still, and then you can jump across to them, and they can give you give you a big pull all the way up that last that last uncategorized climb, and then you know whatever time time you have at the top of that uncategorized climb, you, you'll you'll keep until the finish line. The old fashioned one two punch. Yeah, very common these days. That's right. All right, well, here's part two of our chat with Matt White. How's Gatesy pulled up from yesterday? Yeah, pretty good, mate, pretty good. He's uh, starting to get a little bit tired like everyone else. I think he realised yesterday after the finish that he was actually getting tired, which is if you're, if you're only starting to get tired on stage 17, things aren't too bad. And, uh, no, he's, he's his usual chipper, yeah, yeah sometimes yeah. a little grumpy self. 
<laughs> not all too well. Trying to get grabs out of him in the last week was a bit of a battle at times. But, yeah. Um, uh, and then, obviously, with today's stage, you, you'd be looking to get some guys in the break. Um, losing Yevi was a bit of a blow. Um, anyone yeah. that you're sort of going to pinpoint for today to get in the break? Probably not today, mate. I think uh, I just don't think Esteban's going good enough to win from the break. So I think the best plan for us today is just to be around Adam and support him as long as possible. So uh, yeah, if Esteban can be there up until that last climb, it's yesterday, yesterday Adam was isolated for a long period of time and I wasn't real happy about that. And uh, today I, I just want the guys to fight and keep coming back. And uh, if Adam has teammates around him till the bottom of the last categorised climb, then I think that'll be a good out, good outcome and Adam can relax and, and just do his thing on the final two climbs. Because I think today, whoever does make the break today, one, it's going to be hard for it to stay away, and, and I just don't think I just don't think it's the bunch with the legs to, to to win. So why why mm. we, are, we are sitting in fifth place in the Tour de France with potential to move up or down. So I think Adam deserves all the support he can get. Yeah, yeah exactly. There were some uh, strange tactics played out there yesterday, especially the Bahrain Marina uh, McLaren as they are now. Uh, can you explain that to me? What were they actually trying to do? No, I cannot explain that to you, John. <laughs> uh, basically, they gave Jumbo the afternoon off. All they did. <laughs> uh, no, they didn't. And I don't know what on a on a day like yesterday. The only tactic could have been if you had someone in the breakaway, and that and then then Lander would jump across to a teammate on the Madeleine, and you had to try to put pressure on them down the valley into the last climb, but. When you have two climbs and of 17k and 21k, there was no ambushing being done yesterday. Uh, it was basically whoever the most had the best legs, and and it, 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 all it achieved was it ruined any chances for that breakaway to stay away. But it, uh, yeah. it certainly didn't put any pressure on Jumbo and actually gave them an easier day. A day before a day that they today is the most vulnerable day for Jumbo um, because of Tony Martin and Amun Janssen will be dropped in the first 30k. They're down to six. And then uh, they, are, they are looking tired, but Roderick's certainly not. Uh, and of course, is looking pretty good as well. So I, I think I, I think that was a, a mistake from their behalf because it also achieved nothing. Yeah. Well, you said Chris is looking pretty good, but just on what you were just saying there, uh, Barrow uh, McLaren, they actually probably did cost uh, Carapaz uh, the the uh, uh, the win because uh, yeah. he absolutely fought beautifully in that, uh, up that last climb, and only caught him like three k to go or something. But he that was an amazing ride, and without I reckon you know, they probably took two or three minutes out of him. So yeah, definitely unfortunate for him. But uh, that Sep Kuss, gee, he looked good. Uh, in the last uh, three or four k, uh, obviously a smart move of, of Roglic to send him up the road because he sat up, let the gap yeah. go, and then he had someone to come back to him while he while he had a yeah uh, no, a bit of a go. Nah, Seth's, in the last twelve months, Seth's been had made some really big uh, inroads into his career, and he won a stage in the Volta last year. Was part of Roglic's team that won the Volta last year, and uh, it's his first Tour de France, and he's accounted for himself very very well. Yeah, good young lad. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Oh, well, all the best today, mate. And uh, hopefully, yeah, that well, obviously there's going to be fireworks again, but Yatesy can box on with the best and pick up some more time. Fingers yeah, crossed. that'd be great, mate. It'd be great. I think uh, it was, I think it's 20 seconds between third and uh, third and seventh. Yeah, it's really tight from fourth straight down to seventh. So, um, yeah, anything can really happen, as you know. Um, yeah. And with a stage like that, she's going to be on ski. So. Yeah, that no, should be a good one today. Real good one. Yep. All the best, mate. Thanks for joining Thanks, us. Thanks, Marty.
Cheers, Thanks, uh, interesting uh, that Whitey was saying, you know, he didn't understand what the Bahrain tactics were, but that was the highlight for Gero. So it's funny, isn't it? It's funny. TV and a director's uh, perspective. No, it's funny. Exactly. It's a commentator. But very different uh, perspectives. Like, I, I would not normally disagree with Gero, but I don't believe that uh, Bahrain McLaren were trying, were even thinking about trying to crack uh, uh, Jabba Vismal or or uh, Roglic. They were trying to crack the, all the guys around that third place. They were putting pressure mm. on them, thinking that Lander could move into third place. I think that was what their whole strategy was. I just don't think it was the right strategy in that do that towards the last climb, towards Mirabel, not on the on the mountain before and waste all that energy when Jumbo would have been doing that for them anyway at much the same pace. Mm. Uh, I've got another question from Ryan McMillan for you, Bills. If the dirt section is really rough, is there a possibility that teams will want to switch wheels for that section or have it as part of their plan? No, they won't. And and like what he said, uh, when he reconned the stage with Adam a couple of weeks ago, it was was really rough the dirt. I would suspect um, that it's been graded now. Uh, the Tour de France and the ASO are really good at, at doing that. They, they go across all the roads prior to the stages and, and check the condition of them, sweep corners if it's necessary. So they probably have done a little bit of work on that dirt. Uh, obviously, the risk there is punches, for sure. Uh, whenever you're riding on stones or, or, or dirt, there's always a higher risk of, of flat tyres. So what they will do, uh, I suspect most teams, is they'll probably put somebody on the dirt section like what they do um mm. in races like Paraloo Bay uh they'll have they'll have a guy standing on the dirt section with wheels so that if you do puncture you, you've just got to get to that guy on the side of the road and make a quick wheel change rather than having to wait for the car if it's too far back or things like that so that would probably be the only adaption in terms of uh technical side of things when you're when you're riding on a gravel section like that and just on and, the tactics, oh, I was going to say. I was but, just going to say, but on that, it's not. It's pretty well. It's at the top of the climb, and it's sort of gradual climbing as well. So I don't think it'll be really quick. And the other thing, Ryan McMillan, that was a very good question. He'd almost get a prize, except uh, he's married to my goddaughter, so he, he misses out. <laughs> I'm sure you'll still find a way to <laughs> wingle some wine to him. Um, but just on the Bahrain tactics bills. Is it also important for every now and then as a team to actually do something in the race rather than just sit at the back, like get on the front, be proactive, just so that it isn't a situation where you feel like, all right, well, uh, Lotto's on the front, they're going to do their thing. Is it good for morale or is that can it go the other way? No, I agree with you, Jonesy. I, I, I mean, I, I use Quickstep as an example, I, and I often do use Quickstep as an example. If you're up for a stage, I don't know whether that's what they were thinking. Like we would discuss many scenarios now in the last five minutes about their tactics. But you know, quick steps are a really good example. Like if they want to win a stage, they go, you know what, let's do it. We're here, we're here to win a stage. Let's make our intentions clear and let's back our leader. Mm. Um, and I, I think it, there's a real there's a real place for that. If same same in any team, if if you've got a sprinter, even if it's not the fastest sprinter in the race, but you want to give him a crack, you want to back him for that day. Let's do it. Let's show we show confidence in the in the guy that you're riding for. Um, so yeah, that that could have been an idea. Uh, I mean, I guess I don't know. I mean, that, it's not like they're a team in the race that's not doing anything. They're, they're fighting for a podium position, so. Uh, you you would expect that everything they do, there has to be some reason to it uh, and some some rationale behind it. 
and yeah, by the sounds of it, none of us can work that out. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I agree. If you if you if you've got a plan and you you want to back your leader, then go for it. Take the bull by the horns. Well, it also comes down to if you've got a sports director that's having a real bad day, maybe he didn't sleep that well and he gets up and he's just got that sort of resting stink eye, um, that can have an effect on if you're going to be on the front or not. Yeah. You would have seen yeah. that over the years. Yeah, no, it's, it's funny. I always think about it. Eh? We're, we're all adults, you know, like we're all adults, but we're all so scared of, people, of our lack of our directors. <laughs> <laughs> I can remember in the, back in the old days, Bills, we didn't have the radios, of course, and uh, I can remember I wouldn't go down near the back of the peloton to get bins or anything if I knew he was in a bad mood. I'd send the other guys back because that's when he got into you. And I can mm. remember one day, this long, hot day, um, one of the riders came up with a bottle for me. He said, uh, the boss wants to speak to you. I said, no. Nah. I'm not going back there. I knew what he was going to say. I wasn't going. I didn't go back. <laughs> you, know, you know, the best story I heard of that was at Tour Down Under that year when um, Steve-O was director for the Linda McCarthy team. And Dave McKenzie tells this story. And um, it was going into Victor Harbour and he wanted the team to get on the front and he's talking through the radio and they didn't do it. And then he got to the finish and said to Maka, hey, mate, um, are your radios working okay? He said, yeah, yeah, no, they weren't fine. He goes, so why didn't you go to the front? Oh, we didn't think that. All right, well, yeah, you're riding back to the hotel. He's like, what? He goes, yep, see you later, boys, and just drove off. So that to ride 80K back to the hotel in Adelaide. But that Macca said that extra hit out was great. It turned his legs over and he won the stage the next day. But, um, and it shows the real importance of, um, and, and, and our team does this really well, the, the importance of road captains, road captains, yeah. Uh, and, and we saw that in the footage yesterday when we were showing that stage 20 from the Welton 2016. You know, obviously the the sports director, and in this case, Matt White of the Tour de France, he sat down, he would have, he would have spent hours, uh, or he spent weeks going and reconning these stages, and he'll be spending hours every evening going through the plan, going looking at all the riders. He'll know where every single person in that GC competition is sitting. Uh, he would have assessed how they're feeling, and he'll he'll come up with a, with a tactic of, of how um, they can use our team to the best in the best way to get Adam up either, either onto the podium or to a stage victory or whatever the, whatever the plan may be on that specific day. Uh, but then the road captain comes in to play when the race starts because we see we we're seeing everything that's happening in real time, whereas they can't see it so well from the car. Often they have um, TV coverages delayed, or they they might be a long way back in the car in the convoy, so they can't see what's happening. And that's where road captains are really important, and our team does that really well. Uh, in the in the fact that the sports directors are so open to those discussions with road captains, um, and they have faith in the road captains to make split decisions when we need to on the road, and and then just to share ideas if if things aren't going going to plan, uh, you can make a decision uh, between the road captain and the and the sports director in the car. Um, good stuff, mate. Great insights as always. Now, if you, I thought before we go to Phil Liggett, might as well uh, say a quick cheerio to our sponsors. Uh, kick things off, mate. Yes, of course. Lexus of Blackburn. Um, the 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 bike riders, car people. I mean, they are a great sponsor of cycling. They sponsor the women's section of the of the Joker Hero Sun Tour, and they sponsor the Bay Crits. Fantastic people. The Moore family, Andrew Moore. So, when lockdown is about to be unlocked, I think it's a, about a week and a half or something from Melbourne. You'll be able to go and buy your brand new Lexus from from Lexus of Blackburn. Yep. 
and Mitchelton. It's now open. I spoke to them today, and uh, oh yeah, they, they're open as of uh, tomorrow. I'm pretty sure, and. Yeah, it's a wonderful spot up on the Goulburn River at Nagambi. That's the that photo there is the the absolutely beautiful hotel, uh, which is right on the edge of, of the actual winery with a fantastic pool there. Wonderful spot. Yep, and let's go. Let's go, Motorhomes. Yes, we've got our lucky winner. We're waiting on him just to send his uh, uh, details in, but uh, he's got uh, a week uh, uh, use of a wonderful Let's Go Motorhome, and at the moment. If you jump on the early bird special, you get a 5% discount if you book 90 days in advance. But um, most of the state of Victoria outside of Mexico is opened up now, so they'll be able to jump in their, in their uh, 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 let's go camper. And you can. They're all open. Geelong, Ballarat, Bendigo have all got uh, let's go campers. Can you, can you imagine, like, the day when they go – we're officially COVID free or whatever. You can just go to the footy, go to the bars or whatever. I don't. I don't think people are going to know what to do with themselves. You're just so accustomed to this routine that we've got at the moment. And I was saying to Bills last night, um, the tour has actually been awesome being in September because we're on the back of sort of you know three four months of lockdown. It's given us something to watch and enjoy. Don't you reckon, Bills? Or are you on the text, mate? <laughs> 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 oh, sorry. I've got one of those days, you know, sometimes when you wake up in the morning and, and I've had nothing to do the last week being injured and today I've got like two or three things that I've actually got to do and it's sort of like oh, a bit scatterbrain trying to work all these things out. So I've actually got a um, promotional, promo- I'm going to get on the bike today for the first time on the home trainer and I'm going to do a little promotional uh, thing for, for tax for our, for our sponsors, tax home trainers. Um, so yeah, currently having a little uh, technical glitch here. So I'm on the email with with uh, with the lady. Oh, I was of. just I was just saying to John, it's actually been good the tour being in September because we're on the back of such a long lockdown. It's given us something to watch every night and enjoy. And you know, otherwise we'd be watching old reruns of Mash or. You know, you'd be, be watching the Vuelta actually. Uh, that's good yeah, well, yeah, true. Well, I think, the fact, I think just in general, the fact that sport is back, uh, and obviously the Tour de France being the biggest annual sporting event in the world, um, and yeah, been a tough year. Still, countries such as you guys in lockdown, uh, just the fact that sport is back, people are just lapping it up and absolutely enjoying watching watching some competitive sport again. Yeah. Now, quick quick word from our mates at Bike Exchange, and I fixed the video. I uh, don't cut the logo off at the end, so I've done I've done good. I'm I'm making good for my little glitches at the start of the show. Look at this bike. You think it's just a bike, right? But it's not. <clears throat> it's a bike. Three hundred and seventy-four people are looking at this guy, this girl, them, all looking at it. People from here, there, and wherever this is. People that are looking for a bike. Or just a piece of it. Amateurs. Semi-amateurs. And pro-amateurs. This guy wants this bike, but with this crank. And these bars. This could be the perfect match. But not this one. This girl has a bike to sell. And thousands of people might purchase it. Eyes on bikes help grow small businesses. His, hers yours and the latest data and insights help those businesses keep moving 
We are the world's number one bike marketplace with over 500,000 products and 900 brands where buyers and sellers are brought together in a place where a bike is never just a bike. Bike Exchange, where the world buys, sells, learns and rides. Yeah, great commercial, that one. Now, it's time to uh, play our chat earlier today with the Voice of Cycling, Phil. Uh, we're lucky to be joined by the Voice of Cycling for the final time of this year's Tour de France. Phil, pretty uh, amazing stage last night. What would you think? It was a vicious stage. You know, the last time I was in that part of Maribel was in 1992 when I covered the Winter Olympics there. There was no road. I went to work with a suit on on a ski lift. And up from the valley of Courchevel and over the top and down into the valley of Meribel. But as you know, they built the road about 18 months ago. They had a stage of the Tour de l'Avenir up it last year, won by an Australian, Alex Evans, only 22 at the time. He got first to the top. And now here we are. Um, we've had the Tour de France on it. They promised the Tour de France would finish on it. And we did. It was a tough, tough day. Roglic himself, it was said it was totally brutal those last three kilometres, and it was 24%. Yeah. Jeez, it looked good yeah. on TV. That, that's got the potential to be an iconic um, stage in the Tour de France for years to come. Yeah, absolutely, Dan. That's exactly what I thought. I woke up thinking it this morning, funnily enough, that, yeah, this could become a classic like Alpe d'Huez. It's a beautiful road that they've built, a little bit wider than the cycle path I was led to believe, but it is only restricted to cyclists riding the bikes and not to motor vehicles normally yep. <laughs> we, we were just talking to whitey and uh we asked him how the car the cars went up there because they drove it of course and he yeah. said uh, it was starting to overheat a little bit at the top <laughs> well i'm surprised that they got to the top i, re I really am um but you know it was it, the the strongest rise in the tour de france all came together on that climb uh, and then they fought it out one on one and I felt that yesterday, Robles probably won the Tour de France, uh, but he's still got to get to Paris. That's for sure. Hey, yeah. what do you what what do you think, Phil, of the the stages this year and, and the course layout? Um, they obviously have cut back on the time trial. Do you think it's been a, a good balance this year? Well, it's tough. I mean, they always say it, they're trying to find a course that beat Ineos because having dominated the Tour apart from one year since twenty twelve. The, it's fair to say the organisation was getting a little tired of how they worked out the course and locked it down with a great team. Uh, this year looked like it was a great team, even though they left off Froome, I think rightly so, and also left off, of course, Geraint Thomas. That's a question mark. Uh, but at the end of the day, they built uh, all the team around Egan Bernal because of what he did last year. And uh, and his body just cracked, as simple as that. He's not complaining. He's he's a very young rider, and he will come back, and I think he will win the Tour again. Uh, but, you know, it wasn't many years ago we expected uh, Esteban Chavez to do the same, and it hasn't worked out for Esteban either. So they built a course uh, which has cracked Ineos, whether you like it or not. That's what has happened. And Ineos, one of the small earners on the race this year, although I think the last day... In the Alps, in the Savoie today, will uh, I just got a feeling they might win the stage? Some great insights again from Phil. We're getting plenty of uh, questions coming in. Uh, one from Sheila. Uh, she goes, "How do the organisers select the routes and justify placing back-to-back -back agonising stages? Seems they are trying to break the riders. Us mere mortals couldn't even walk them. You know, answer, answer that, Iffy." 
Well, they try and change. The old days, it was always one year was clockwise, next year anti-clockwise. Pick where you're going to start it and pretty well, you know, you could almost work the route out yourself. Uh, but they've changed that very much over the last about five or six years. So they're now they bring all the mountains in, you know, where it used to be the Alps and the and the Pyrenees and occasionally in the Massive Central. Now they bring the, the Jura Mountains. They don't miss anything. And I just think it's getting better and better. And I mean, I, we, we like it a bit hard, don't we? Putting a couple together really makes this, this bike race is one of the best Tour de France's in living memory. Matter of fact, I put it right up there with the best I've ever seen. And I reckon you me, say that every year, though, John. No, no. You I'm do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't say that. I say it's a really good one, maybe, but this is a classic uh, Tour de France course. And the bike riders have stepped up and made it a classic Tour de France bike race. Yeah, and uh, good to see Peter's read his inbox. Wow, thanks, all great show. Looking forward to some Let's Go Motorhome action when lockdown ends. Peter, of course, won the competition for the best question for the first week. Uh, and Samantha says, I heard they had to cycle down that mega mountain for 10 kilometres to get to their buses. Is that right? That's pretty common, isn't it, Bills, when you're staying very, the base? Very common. Yeah, it's very common. It's um, it's even more common in in the Vuelta. Uh, uh, often in the Vuelta, just about every day, we need to ride back to the buses. Uh, it, it always depends on whether where the stage finishes, and you could see yesterday that the last um, six or seven k was on a bike path, uh, and at the top there wasn't a lot of parking, so there was no way of getting any buses up there, which means that yeah, the guys have to ride back ride back down to the buses. But at the Tour de France, what's really cool is they give you a uh, a little band that you put on yeah, to show that you're a you're a member of the Tour de France, as if the race number is not enough. Is, it, anyway, is that they, because of Julian Dean? Getting his beard tackled by a policeman? Yeah, maybe, yeah. So you have your little band on so that the cops let you down and you get a whistle. So, um, yeah, because of, at this year is probably not such an issue uh, given the, the fan restrictions, but often, uh, you, you you know, you're trying to descend a mountain with hundreds of thousands of other people who are trying to descend the mountain as well, so you get given a little whistle so you can let them know you're coming. But, yeah, no, it's, it's not uncommon um, and often it's not that enjoyable. <laughs> Yeah, well, that, that's what actually caused that drama that you and the bus hit the uh, uh, finish line because the bus was 2K away and the riders would have... It wasn't a mountain stage, but, um, yeah, they're often sort of parking close. Uh, now, a question, Stuart McIntosh. This is a good one. With top equipment, gains in sports science and talent coming through, are we going to see riders emerge capable of winning Le Tour plus another Grand Tour in the same year on a regular basis? What do you reckon, Effie? Oh, look, it, it's always tough. I mean, the, the, the ones that you normally see are, are Giro and Vuelta because there's a big gap in between. But, um, you know, the, the bike riders are getting better and stronger. And um, it, it's, I reckon it's hard enough to win one Grand Tour. Winning two is uh, probably getting a little bit ambitious. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I, and I, I think that, yeah, you, the, the Giro Vuelta double is, is still possible. Um, the, now, see, obviously, the, the the big question over the last couple of years is who's going to be the first guy to win all three in one year? Look, I really can't see that happening anytime soon. Just like we were speaking about earlier, the, the, the competition at the top now is so so tight um, that, to you, you know, you've got those three guys here. here you've got... Um, Roglic, Pogjakar, you've got Bernal when he's in form, and you've got Durant Thomas, you've got Simon Yates. 
Um, you've got all these guys and there's always going to be one or more of those guys at each of those grand tours. So for someone to go and win all three, oh, well, well, Stephen Roach won uh, the Giro, the Tour, and then at the end of the year won the, the World Championship back in 86, I think it was. But the difference was being back then, the Giro, it's just as tough a bike race, but they used to have more piano, more easy riding in the first half of every stage. You could ride a Giro and come out of it pretty well and go, you know, and, and come to a Tour de France a month later. Nowadays, the Giro is raced like the Tour, and you come out of it much more tired. All right. Well, yeah, we've got uh, three more parts of Phil Liggett's chat, so here's part two where I think you cover more of uh, yesterday's stage. Well, I was very impressed with Carapaz yesterday. Matter of fact, <laughs> he's a bit unlucky because other than those crazy tactics of Bahrain uh, McLaren, he probably would have won the stage. It was a, he just fought and fought and fought. Great ride. How do you mean mystified by the tactics of uh, of Lander and his team? I know they wanted to put themselves on the front and show that he was the leader, uh, but why not let uh, why not let Yumbo do the work in those early mountains and then take them later? <laughs> Instead, they gave him a free ride all the way over the Madeleine. Uh, thanks, boys. Just keep making this space. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly. Bang, bang, bang! All the riders go back, and then the leader cracks. But, you know, it's making a great race to watch, and I'm really enjoying commentating on it this year. Um, and I never thought that. I had no enthusiasm for the Tour de France, uh, doing it from London, as I am, of course. And Bob Rowe, my co-commentator, is 3,500 miles away in the other side of the Atlantic. But it's it's come together so well, and I've really enjoyed the Tour, and, and everything's positive. So I've, it's been this very strange, very different, but a great Tour de France. And I did say... Be, uh, a week or two before the tour started that if the tour started I thought we would see one of the best because I felt that this was a great course to give us lots of entertainment. 12 new stage towns on the route. I don't know how they keep finding new places we've never been to before but they do. They're terribly hard final week which the riders have recognised. Uh, one more day and then the time trial on Saturday. Uh, it's going to go to the wire although I think the time gap uh, and on Roglic and Pogaccia is probably too much now for Pogaccia. But what a great, what a great kid he is! The way he races. But you did right, uh, Phil. It's been just an amazing bike race. You know, mm. for I think there's only one day we look back on the whole tour, the day where they cruise for most of the stage. That yeah. was a bit boring. Every well, other day has been fantastic. I've forgiven them for that day now because it's very hard for a commentator for five hours. Uh, and guys talking and checking off the Napoleon bags. If you go back into the 70s, unfortunately I do, uh, We used to, they used to go so slowly, but the stages were up to 300 kilometres long. They used to go so slowly. We used to drive ahead of the race by two hours, park the car in a forest, put a tablecloth on the bonnet of the car, polish the wine glasses and have a lovely lunch. We bought it in the supermarket on the way. Um, it's impossible now, of course. We have to work a day ahead now and enjoy it. But um, no, I've never been to Mirabel since uh, since 1973. I was there when Akani was riding it. Not, not, yes, lower down the mountain. Uh, when they came in from Aspro Gayar. And that's when we had a lovely lunch at Aspro Gayar in lovely sunshine. Went up the mountain and the, it was the worst storm I've ever been into this day. 
the press tried to drive their vehicles into the press room through the wide doors of an aircraft hangar because they wouldn't get out of the car. The rain was too heavy. Uh, <laughs> and Bernard Pevenot came through the storm and he won that day up the mountain. But we'd had an 80-kilometer race in the morning, lunch in Gayar, and then up the mountain for 150k to the finish at Merigold. Amazing, eh? Right. Two stages in one day. Oh, two stages in one day, over 230 kilometers. Uh, the boys have got it so easy now. They don't know what it was like in the old days. <laughs> it sounds like an old sun tour, mate. That's what I used to tell the, <laughs> the guys. We used to have two, sometimes three stages a day. We sometimes exactly. have an evening time trial or an evening race around a trotting track or something. Ooh, you have two stages of about 150k each. So we'd be racing around about 300k or just well, under. In the 70s, John, we we had three stages too. That's what caused the strikes at Villa Dajon, Valence Dajon, when Bernardino wearing his national jersey in 1978 walked over the line and said no we're not racing we're not animals we are bicycle riders we are professionals because they were starting the first stage at 7 30 a.m they were finishing it by 11 15 they got one and a half hours for lunch they then did an afternoon stage starting at around about 1 30 finishing at four they started again a final leg which brought them to the final destination which finished at 7 30 at night uh, I think that was asking a bit too much. Jeez, how much easier you guys got at Bills in the uh, <laughs> oh, no. current peloton? You hear stories like that? Unbelievable. Mate, it's easy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, easy. You, you Wi-Fi <laughs> Great Wi-Fi in France we get these days. And well, well, I reckon we charge through the rest of Phil's uh, chat. Phil, have you three. missed not being on the ground this year or is the um, fact that you don't have to worry about the logistics and you can take those shortcuts through Heathrow, uh, has that made it a bit, bit more enjoyable? Well, you're right. I am taking the shortcuts literally through Heathrow to get to our studios here. We're only eight miles from studio from Heathrow Airport and there's no traffic going to Heathrow. So a road that normally you would allow 30 minutes for three kilometres to get into the terminal I'm zooming down in a couple of minutes and coming out a back road I always knew around the airfield, and I'm back in the studio here. That bit's going well. The traffic normally at this time of day when I travel, which is 6.30 in the morning for here, and normally you must allow an extra hour for the distance. But we've been very, very lucky, touch wood, and only three more trips to come. But um, it's been a different tour. Going home every night, it's very strange. <laughs> People not realising that I've been on the Tour de France and, a commentary all day long and, uh, and of course I missed the tour my big fear now is if this catches on and they want to save money I might never see the tour again <laughs> I, I, I don't think it will somehow but then I, I still may never see the tour again anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well that's it anything to uh, finish with Iffy? Yeah, Phil, I just want to uh, uh, talk about what, what uh, is coming up so today's mm -hmm. stage is uh, a bit of a monster. It's actually, Ooh. it mightn't be quite as tough at the finish a, a, as yesterday, but overall, it for, it is just climbing, climbing, climbing. There's just no flat ground. It's going to put a lot of people under a lot of pressure. This must not be dismissed, this stage. If there's any weaknesses, this stage will find them for sure. The Cormedia Roseland, which comes reasonably early, and this is normally a very crucial stage, a very hard climb indeed, mm. uh, but... It was to be on the stage last year, and then three landslips on the very slopes during the night 
that caused the cancellation of that event. And so after the Corme de Rose one, we then move across the peaks of the Col de Saisis, just a difficult climb, and the Col de Zarevi, very famous, but okay. But when you come to that new one, the Monte de Plateau de, de Glière, uh, that's where the British used to drop weapons down to the resistance fighters in World War II to get them because they had a lot of fighters up there of the resistance, but they had no ammunition or weapons. So the they made four drops from the bombers to send the guns down to help them fight. And there was a huge battle up there, and over 100 of those resistance fighters died up there. And we'll probably see the graves today and the, and the memorials. But uh, I'm told, and I've never seen this climb, it is very, very vicious, uh, vicious. It's outside category, of course. And also time bonuses over the top, first three men. So that's the last big challenge. Uh, it's in the Haute Savoie. They're just part of the Alps, really. And then down to the finish. Sprinter's Day tomorrow. Up the time trial hill. And then home to Paris on Sunday. And it's all done. It's been a great race. I've admired Robbie, um, Caleb Ewan, by the way. And he said Robbie McEwen then. I've, I've admired Caleb Ewan too, John, because he's ridden so well this year. Hanging in. And not so he's yeah. two stage wins. And he might still get one or two more if he can survive uh, today. Yeah, today is a big yeah. test for all of the sprinters. Uh, yeah. And, and Whitey was just saying, over the top of that uh, last uh, uh, Hotsey climb that you're talking about, yeah. there's a section of, of, uh, uh, of um, unmade road, of gravel road. Yeah. And he said when he saw it two weeks ago, it wasn't in very good condition. Oh, well, you're telling me news. I didn't know about that. So I'll, yeah. I'll use that in my commentaries. <laughs> I've given you something again. Well, we, we didn't know about the aeroplanes and the bombers. So it was a good trade. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. And, and Phil, the, the ratings, mate. We, we were asking about the ratings last time and you said you didn't want to jinx it and, and have a look. Are we, are we still in record record bonus territory? Well, I haven't asked him for a few days. I'm, not, I'm scared to ask him for a few days. Uh, he's still speaking to me, so I figure they're good. I mean, he was very happy when he got this 30% increase rating about eight or nine days ago. I think it was. It might have been less. Um, so it all seems to have gone very well. The big boss of MC did call me uh, when I was driving home one evening to say that uh, it's, it seemed to be very seamless working so far apart, and he was very delighted with the production. Um, but it's not the same as being right there where you can walk out your comedy box, talk to your mate on Dutch television or Belgian TV and say, tell me about this ride. He's mm. country you know, and stuff like that. But I've enjoyed the race in many ways. Well, ratings are up. Costs are down. It's looking good for next <laughs> year, mate. <laughs> uh, it was Phil Liggett. Sensation. It was always good to uh, chat with Phil. Um, and it's good to see that he's enjoying... Uh, commentating from that little Shawshank Redemption prison cell there. Um, <laughs> but we've actually got uh, one final part, I just remembered, where I think Phil does give us a bit of a look and, and we wrap up our chat. It only goes for a couple of minutes. <laughs> You'll be back next year, mate, and so will I. We'll be uh, catching up as we always do. So uh, I'm looking yeah. forward to it, mate. No, and well, if not, I'll up. see you in the summer. You will indeed. Uh, what's happening in the summer? Is it going to happen? I mean, I don't know. It'll be happening. Yes, I'm Stewie O'Grady is very confident that uh, uh, the tour, tour Down Under will happen. Um, and uh, he's had fantastic uh, uh, feedback from all of the teams and the state government in South Australia is uh, uh, is keen for it to happen. So I, yeah. I think it will. Um, and we're, we've just got out of lockdown in, in, in Geelong as of last night. So we're... Yeah. We, 
and move around. So I'm heading up to Ngambi uh, next week. Oh, <laughs> Can't really? wait for that. Absolutely. And uh, so I was going to say, Phil, even if the races get cancelled, just come up and spend two weeks in Ngambi and drink all Jerry's plonk. Oh, Don't worry I'm about it. And I will, uh, Jerry, Jerry and his Mitchell and Scott team have had a very, very good tour in many ways. And now they're having a great uh, uh, female tour. The Giro, they're doing really good there. Yes, and, mm. and Amik's still leading there, which is great. And, of course, it was great to see Simon Yates uh, win Torino Adriatico. Uh, it was yeah. a fantastic effort. Um, I don't know if anybody ever noticed that. He'd hardly made a line here to point out. First ever British winner of Torino. I think the race started. Oh, Really? Oh, yeah. Really? I had a British rider win that race before. And I think it started, I'm guessing now, about 1936. So And I, I got first and second. And we got first and second. And they, <laughs> you know, we could have made headlines here, but I guess we sort of rather spoilt it for them. But that was a good result for the Brits. Mm. What's made, headline, made headlines here, and it, it was two bloody poms. <laughs> and you probably got bigger headlines than we got here as well. Uh, well, all, all, all the best, Phil, for the last uh, couple of stages, mate. And congrats on all the success of the coverage. And uh, yeah, we look forward to speaking to you soon, mate. It's been awesome. Wonderful. Thanks for checking in with me, guys, in my little house here. It's just still very small. Look, you can't see a lot. But there's the work. Look, that's it. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, still working. And that's the size of the room. <laughs> Mate, you, you could easily get a job as a security guard after this. All right, that was Phil. Uh, always good to chat with him. Uh, now it's time, boys, for that favourite segment, the Detour Delorean. Well, we're going, we don't need roads. Now, Johnny, you like music videos. You always say to me, mate, mate, just keep playing those music videos. I think there's only a few left in the kit bag because we've chewed through most of them. Uh, I want to play the uh, one we did in 2015 when we were at the South African uh, training camp. And uh, we involved, like, we started out, we were going we to film it with Bling and uh, all the crew. And I think by this point, we'd done a few. And a lot of the riders are like, uh, I'm over this. But uh, when we realised that they weren't that great dancers, we went out into the communities and hit up the local schools and pretty much anyone we could find. And, uh, yeah, it, it, I was pretty happy with how it turned out in the end, particularly keep an eye on Daryl Impey. I reckon Daryl Impey should get the three votes uh, for this performance.
girl sent you hallelujah. Ooh. Girl sent you hallelujah. Ooh. Cause Uptown Funk gon' give it to you. There you go. Uptown Funk. Did you go to those training camp spills in South Africa back in the day? You went to the second one, right? I didn't go to that one. Uh, I was at the yeah, the second one I went to. It was awesome there. I loved going to South Africa. Oh, it's unreal. The uh the yeah. trips we went to the Kruger National Park uh were really good, except um they they specifically said there's lions, there's wild animals, just stay in your car and don't wind the windows down. Not only did some of the guys not want, like, wound the windows down, we had two mechanics stepping outside for some fresh air sitting on the bonnet. Mate, I went for a mass- massage one evening. So we were staying in this big resort and we were basically spread, the cabins were spread around a, a couple of kilometres you could be from the massage therapist. So we had these vans and I drove to the to the massage, drove back, it was night, it was dark outside. And as I pulled up into the um, car park in front of my cabin, and the car park was about, you know, 30 metres across this grass section to, to my cabin. And as I pulled in, there was a bloody leopard standing between my cabin and my van. A leopard. And I, I was like, how am I going to get into my cabin? So then I just sat there and the headlights were on this leopard. And I watched it walk off into the, into the bushes just next to the cabins. But it was pitch black and it was out of the headlights now. So I had no idea where this leopard was. And, I, and I, so I called Edmo. I was room with Alex Edmondson. I said, mate, open the door because we had these two doors. One was to stop the monkeys getting in and then an actual door. 
I said, open the door. I've got to run, make a run for it. So I was sh shitting myself. And I was like, I hope I can outrun a leopard. And I just sprinted 30 meters across, straight into the cabin, closed the door. I was like, I've made it. Looked out the window. Ah, oh, shit, I left the bloody headlights on in the van. So, I don't know why I felt like that was important at this point. But I, I took another run to go and turn the headlights off. Who was the, who was the Italian rider we had, the national champion back in the day? Santa that's it, Santa Marita. And he had his own special um, powders and um, stuff for his uh, mixes and protein shakes and stuff, and he had them all out on the table, but he didn't lock the window properly, and this monkey got through and just absolutely decimated all these protein shakes and whatever, <laughs> and he walked in there, and the monkey's just turned around looking at him. He's got all chocolate powder around his mouth. <laughs> you chased him out the door. Yeah, that was an awesome trip. Great times. Uh, we've got some more questions before we give our tips. Kirsty says, ahead of the Michelin wine giveaway, Dan Iffy, are you missing any of the Euro beverages not being there this year? And if so, you know, the 13% Belgian beers. Uh, we know Buell's BYO is Print Shiraz over there. What, what, what are you missing the most about not being in Europe in terms of the cuisine and stuff, John? Well... Luckily, uh, my, my local Dan Murphy's down the corner has a Belgian beer section, so I get plenty of my Belgian beer. That's fine. Oh, look, just the, I, I love uh, the, the the food, of course, the French food. I, I especially like the old plate of the day. You go into a little cafe, have the plate of the day. It's always something special. Over here, plate of the day means something cheap. Over there, it is their specialty, and it's always – I don't even worry about what it is. I'll have the plate of the day. It's great. Yeah. Uh, Ian Thomas wants to know, surely Richie can't take back over 90 seconds on that uphill TT course. Um, yeah, I, it's going to be hard, isn't it? Like, you're on the flats, it'll be good, but because it's got that climb at the end. Yeah, but th that's Saturday. Tough. That's Saturday. We, we've yeah, got a couple of days to go. Today, anything can happen today. It is a monster day and a day where, uh, you know, you can get someone isolated, things can happen, you know. We'll worry about Saturday on Saturday. And the answer to that question is I don't think he can make up that much time uh, on on uh, Lopez in that time trial. He'd probably catch – he'd probably take 30, 45 seconds or so out of him uh, mm. before the climb. But up the climb, there won't yeah. be much between them, you know. Uh, when he wants to know, Bills, with all the major races crammed into the next nine to ten weeks, how will this impact the riders going into next year's calendar? Yeah, well, it's going to be um, a very short off off season. Um, I guess when you, as we all know, cycling was on pause for four or five months. But in a sense, all it's done is shift the calendar. Uh, we, we we typically have a few months off, uh, November, December, or October, November, December, before racing starts in January. That's just happened at a different time of the year. Uh, but what that what the the effect that that's going to have is it's basically made. Uh, 2020 a very short season and it's made 2021 a very long season uh, so obviously the the Vuelta is going to be the last race of the year which finishes on the the 9th of eighth or ninth of November uh, and then yeah all you know all going well and and we all we all hope that the tour down under will will happen um, it's only going to be six weeks uh, between between the end of that this season and the start of next season so yeah very very condensed very short season this year but will make for a very long season um, next year. I mean, I, I mean, I, I've sort of joked that 2021 
season started on the 1st of August 2020. So, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's going to be a, be a long, long, long run. But, hey, mate, we do it. We love it. We've all missed it. So bring it on. That's it. All right, predictions. Who do we like for the stage? Who are you going with, Iffy? Well, I like Michael Kwiatkowski because I think uh, Ineos Grenadiers need to do something. He had a he had a bit of an easy day with Carapaz being up the road twice. I can't see him getting up the road again. I still see he's one of the favourites, but he, he's not Superman. He can't do well. Superman won yesterday, <laughs> but uh, I can't see Carapaz doing three in a row. Uh, and I reckon Michael Kwiatkowski is the perfect man to get up the road and uh, make a move, even if they make a move from the leading group uh, mm-hmm. for the finale. Who do you reckon will win, Bills? Uh, Roglic. Roglic. Going to say him every day until he, until he does. <laughs> no, but well, I, 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 I don't think the breakaway will win today. All right. Well, I, I'm going with Daniel Martinez. Uh, he was the one that won the stage on stage 13. I had a look at his results. He's been biding his time since. Colombian. Um, he's obviously a pretty handy climber, and uh, I'm I'm going to back him in. Uh, when you say he's been biding his time since, you mean he had he won the stage, then had one day off, and now he's having a crack again today. Yeah, no, he, he didn't go deep yesterday. He finished in the bunch with uh, Chavez and all those guys, and yep. um, he I reckon he's been targeting. I think anyone that went into the red yesterday is going to be paying for it today, for sure. Yeah. I, I just think, honestly, with this today's stage, the breakaway's not going to go until that that long climb, which sure means it's going to be a strong breakaway of of climbers. But there's going to be this is the last chance until the time trial for GC guys to make a move if they're not backing themselves for the TT. So there's going to be teams that will be trying to put riders in the breakaway so that those guys, their GC guys, can jump across on that second to last climb. Uh, so if that was the situation, then um, yeah, I don't know whether the. I mean, now that I say that, the, if you're a jumbo visma, you'd let the breakaway go really, 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 really far so that they yeah, could that's have, right. Could have, could have make that jump, but the nature of the course is not going to allow that. Uh, and there's going to be a big battle on that on that steep climb there. I think the the winner will come from a group of the group of favourites. All right. Well, we'll wait and see. Another jam packed show, boys. Thanks for uh, giving all the insights. Uh, thanks to everyone for putting in their questions. As we always say, search for the Detail Podcast in YouTube, subscribe, leave comments, and on Facebook, it's facebook.com forward slash Detour Pod. And, uh, yeah, it'll no doubt be a cracking stage tonight, and, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have a fair idea going into the time trial on who's going to win this tour. So we'll see you tomorrow night, 7.30 Australian Eastern Standard Time. Enjoy the stage on SBS tonight. Cheers. This is the winning ride of the tournament.